Genesis chapter number 16. For the past five weeks, we've been studying the life of Abraham on Sunday nights. And it's hard to believe it's been a little over a month since we've started this series. Uh, but tonight we embark on the sixth part of this series. And uh, we followed them all being faith and then something descriptive of faith. Faith discovered, uh, faith deepening, uh, things along those natures. But tonight, uh, I want to preach on the topic, faith delusion or disillusioned, excuse me, faith disillusioned. Uh, we come to a dark time in the life of Abraham and we'll find as we read this passage that trials and temptations concerning our faith are a constancy of life. It's something that we're going to have to approach and deal with through our entire life. Let's read together Genesis chapter number 16, verse number 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, uh, they may, uh, unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes." The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? Whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Berlehoi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bereth. And Hagar bare Abram a son, 
And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, use Your Word tonight in a mighty way in the hearts of Your people. We'll be sure and careful to thank You for it, Lord. There's one amongst us that's lost and undone with Christ. Only You can make them aware of their need. But Father, I just pray that You would do in each heart that which is most needful, and that when we leave here, Lord, we'll know that we've met with You and that we've been obedient to Your Word and Your Spirit. Father, we love You. We thank You for it. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. As we've read this passage, I've dwelt mostly, or I'm going to dwell mostly on the first six verses. I've read the entire chapter for context. And certainly there's a beautiful message and thought in what the Lord did in the life of Hagar. And that's just pure grace, friend. Uh, there was nothing to make Hagar think the Lord would look at her, but there was a God in heaven that was watching Hagar. I'm thankful that though there was no reason to believe that God would look on me, there was a God in heaven that was looking on Toby Weber and that convicted him of his need of Christ and showed him and pointed him towards Calvary. And I'm thankful for that. But tonight, in keeping with our series, our focus is not the instance that takes place in the life of Hagar uh, when uh, she hears from the Lord. But rather, we're looking at faith in the life of Abram. Now, as we've gone through this study, we've found that Abram has come to a place in chapter 15 where righteousness is imputed unto him, and he's come to understand faith in a more pure and plain way than he had before. Before chapter 15, Abram's journey of faith was a journey of following. And every journey of faith is a journey of following. But now his journey of following becomes a journey of faith. I hope that's not too complicated. Uh, what I mean to say is that Abram now begins to understand some dynamics about his faith. He begins to understand that uh, his faith comes from the Word and the promises of God. And he begins to understand uh, the difficulties involved in a walk and a life of faith. And tonight, as we're going to study this chapter, keep in mind this phrase, faith disillusion. Because we find, as I've already said, that attacks upon our faith are constant attacks. In fact, we see in this passage that in six short episodes, Abram's faith has already been tested in a mighty way uh, twice, including this passage. We're going to find in both instances, Abram failed the test. But let me just pause and say for a moment that you and I are going to have our faith tested. There's many giants that we face in our life. I wish there was only one giant. I wish there was only one victory. I understand we have the victory in Jesus Christ, but I wish there was only one difficulty that we would have to overcome. Boy, wouldn't that be bliss if it only took one battle to fight and the rest of the Christian life was just easy. Uh, but even if you look in the life of David, the great giant slayer, you'll find that, giant, that uh, Goliath wasn't the last giant that David had to face. Now, he may have been the only physical giant, but time and time again in the life of David, he had to face giants in his life. And that is true of you and me. It was true of Abram. That you and I are going to have our faith constantly tested. 
And it's easy sometimes for the carnal man to cry out and uh, to say, Lord, this isn't fair. Why do I have to go through these things? But you just keep in mind, brethren, that faith is like a muscle. If it's not exercised, if it's not uh, stressed, if it's not stretched, it's never going to grow. In the life of Abraham, trial after trial came into view. And we find in this passage that Abram once again enters the valley of trial. And if you want to write it down, you can write that down, the valley of trial. We read this passage and there doesn't seem to be much going on in the way of difficulties on the outside of Abram's life. And let me say to you that many times the hardest battles that we fight are not necessarily related to our outer circumstances. You see, the battle that Abram was facing was an inner struggle. It wasn't the famine as it was before that drove him out of God's will, before external circumstances were pressing upon Abram. But now we find that an internal struggle is what causes Abram to lose his faith in the Lord and to cease following Him like he should. You know, sometimes, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me, and I would not necessarily say that I battle or struggle with depression, and I don't say that as a point of pride, but I say it only as a point of honesty because I don't want you to think that I struggle with something that I don't. If you've ever struggled with depression, most people that have dealt with it uh, kind of resent somebody saying they know what what it's like if they have never been through it. And I've never really struggled with depression. But I'll say this, there have been some struggles and some difficulties in my life that I faced when everything on the outside seemed to be peachy and rosy. There have been some difficulties and some things that I've fought against in my life when everything on the outside seems to be fine. And you just listen good and close to this. You better be careful how you treat people because you've got no clue what they're going through most of the time. You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what they're struggling with. If you would have looked at Abram, you would have never guessed that he was in a valley of trial and of temptation and of difficulty. If you would have looked at Abram, you would have seen a man uh, that had brought riches out of Egypt. You would have seen a man that had won and conquered in battles. You would have seen a man that had a family that had servants. You would have seen a man that had what would have seemed like a, a comfortable life. You would have seen a man that seemed like everything was going well, and yet you look deeper under the surface and you'll find that Abram was struggling in his faith. Many times our greatest struggles, people around us are unaware of them. And in this trial, I want us to notice three things that I believe bore down on him and three things that bear down on our faith many times. I want you to notice with me verse number one again. The Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bear him no children bear him no children. Look at verse 3. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now you put these two verses together and you find a truth that I'm sure was difficult for Abram to deal with. You know, faith, faith is a perpetual thing in the life of the believer. And we find in Abram's life it had been ten Long years since God called him out of the miry clay of a Gentile world and caused him to begin to walk by faith with Him. It had been ten years since the Lord uh, had brought him out with the promise that, Abram, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you a seed to inherit. And after ten years, still no child was there. 
I'm sure that uh, we know the Bible tells us that Sarai was old and well-stricken in age. And I'm sure the impossibility of the circumstances began to weigh on the mind of Abram. And let me just say that one of the most difficult things in the life of faith to, uh, to, to, to recognize and to deal with and to reconcile is the seeming delay of God's promise. God has promised His children He'll meet their needs. You ever had one of those months where you had more bills than you did paychecks? You ever had one of those months where it just seemed to run short and you didn't understand how God could come through and meet your needs? You ever had a loved one that was lost so long that you just about gave up on? I mean, if, if they had asked you, they'd been dead four days. It was too late. No one could do a work in their life, and yet you had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Let me tell you something, church. We have a God that hears and answers prayers, even if He doesn't do it on our time frame. I'm sure one of the greatest difficulties for Abram was looking back at the ten years that he'd been following God. And thinking, you know, still God's promise has not come true. Delays in God's promise many times try our faith. But let me say the dissatisfaction of God's people sometimes tries our faith. You ever been around someone that discouraged you before? Raise your hand if you have. Uh, we find in this passage that Sarai came to Abram. Abram did not go to Sarai. Sarai came to Abram. And said in uh, verse number 2, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. His wife was unhappy. I'm sure there were times, and I don't know, I, I, I'm, let me just use a little sanctified imagination, amen. But I'm sure there were times that Sarai thought about her family. I'm sure there were times that she remembered being in Ur of the Chaldees. I'm sure there were lonely moments. And I'm sure there were times when it was a difficult walk for Sarai, just like it was for Abram. And I don't know how many will understand this. I know that husbands will understand this. But there's something very difficult to deal with when your family is unhappy. It's to you to provide. It's to you to please them. It's to you to make a life for them. And sometimes it's difficult when the people looking to you are dissatisfied in their life. And as a husband, how many believe the husband is the head of the home? That's what the Bible teaches. As the husband is the head of the home, you know, sometimes it's difficult because you feel a lot of pressure on yourself. And as you walk the life of faith, let me just say that when the husband walks the walk of faith, his family walks the walk of faith. It's a family matter. You say, but my wife is not a believer. It doesn't matter. If you live by faith, there's going to be a measure of faith that she's going to have to live by. She may not even know the Lord, but there's going to be a measure of faith that she's going to have to live by. Uh, when you walk with the Lord, there's going to be a measure of trust she's going to have to have as well if you're going to lead her. Your kids may not know the Lord. They may be rotten as can be like I was growing up. I don't know. Uh, but your kids, whenever the man, the head of the home, walks by faith, the family follows walking as well, and they walk that path. That's part of the reasons uh, that it's so absolutely essential when we win people to the Lord, that we try to win the daddy of the home to the Lord because it's very likely the family is going to follow. And they're following in this walk of faith. And I don't know how satisfied Sarai was when she left her of the Chaldees. 
In fact, you go through the life of Sarah, and there's just about not a spiritual moment in it. You'll find she was one of the most carnal people all through the Word of God. Now, I don't mean to speak ill of her. I didn't know her personally. But every time that you see Sarai, she's lacking faith and she's trying to follow Abraham. And you know, sometimes it's difficult when you're trying to lead your family to do the right thing and they don't want to do it. When you're trying to lead your family to follow the Lord, when you're trying to lead your family in family altar and family prayer time, when you're trying to get your family to church, when you're trying to live right, when you're trying to do right, sometimes the dissatisfaction of others with that walk of faith can be a heavy burden to bear. We see that the delay of God's promise was probably part of the trial that Abram faced. The dissatisfaction of God's people was probably a very difficult thing for Abram to face. But let me give you a third thing. I believe the darkness of God's plan was one of the heaviest burdens for Abram to bear in the midst of this strife. I'm sure that after ten years that Abram sometimes sat and thought to himself, I don't see how in the world God is going to give me an heir. You know, part of the walk of faith is walking by faith and not by sight. I've said it many, many times before. We all want to know God more. We all like to quote Paul, that I might know Him, that I might know Him, that I might know Him. But where does He dwell? The psalmist said He hath made darkness His habitation. And there's going to be dark times and times of confusion in your life. There's going to be times as you follow God that you cannot make sense out of what God is doing in your life. And listen to me, church, if you could always make sense out of it, it wouldn't take faith to walk that way. It takes faith to follow God. And it takes going against what makes sense to the carnal man. The Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He cannot understand them. They're spiritually discerned. So as you follow God, expect some darkness. Expect some times when you cannot understand. I always think about Job. Oh, my. You read through the book of Job and you'll find out that the thing that tortured Job the most was that he couldn't understand God. It wasn't the ten freshly dug graves. It wasn't the scars from the boils. It wasn't the poverty. It wasn't the forsakenness of his friends. But at the end of the day, he spoke of an overwhelming darkness that he faced. He could not understand God. And don't think for one minute, believer, that if you walk by faith, you're always going to understand Him. That darkness is a heavy thing to bear. Sometimes if we knew the reason behind what we're going through, we could address it or deal with it. We see that in the life of Paul. The Bible tells us in Paul's life that he was given a thorn of the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet him. And I had never made this correlation before until I was pondering on it the other day. And the Bible tells us that Paul prayed to the Lord and uh, beseeched him thrice that he'd remove this thorn of the flesh. And the Lord gave him a simple answer. The Lord said, no, Paul, no. And then the Lord used this. He made this statement. Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, I don't want to limit the interpretation or understanding of what grace is. But can I just tell you that I kind of believe, you read in that passage, 
And Paul now, when he's writing this verse, he understands the reason behind this thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul understands now the purpose behind that thorn. And I just kind of believe that the grace that God is talking about, that God is giving him, is that God made Paul aware of the reason for his trials. He talked about being forsaken of the brethren. And how that some preach Christ for contention, some preach Him for glory's sake. And he said, I glorify wherever He's preached. Paul was one of the most forsaken brethren. We all love Brother Paul now, but let me tell you something, neighbor. If he lived and walked this earth today and preached the way he did, there wouldn't be just about but maybe a few churches in this world that put up with Paul. (laughs) And I believe part of the grace that Paul was able to obtain from the Lord is gaining an understanding of why he was dealing with what he was dealing with. You know why I believe that? Because Paul said that when he understand understood the reason, he was able to bear. You know what he said? I will therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God made it clear to Paul, I believe that was part of the grace that was sufficient for him. But many times in our life, we do not understand what we're going through. And we find in this passage that when Abram was going through a valley of trial, that Satan had a voice of temptation prepared for him. We find, who was it? It was his wife, Sarai. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not here to preach that uh, the woman's always the tempter. Amen. I'm not here to preach that they're always the ones that get us in trouble. Uh, maybe some of you, but, you know, my wife keeps me out of trouble most of the time. But in the life of, Sarah, uh, of Abram, we find that it was Sarai who, devil, who the devil found to be a voice for temptation. And let me say that sometimes it's the people that are closest to us. The people that love us the most and the people that we love the most that are sources of discouragement, and disillusionment as we try to serve God. Many times they mean well. But be careful about the way that you treat those around you. I've already said it. But let me say, not only be careful because you don't know what they're going through, but be careful because you don't know what you say, what it might lead to. We find that the devil used Sarai. And we know that God's sovereign hand was all over this. I'm not saying that it wasn't. But I'm saying that we find... Well, let's read it, if you will. Look at verse number 2. It says, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, there's one voice in Abram's life he should have been listening to when it came to leading and guiding his family. And let me say this to you husbands. I'm not saying you disregard your wife's wants and wishes. I'm not saying that you treat her like a doormat. I'm not saying that you treat her as though she is a lesser being, even though the Bible does say that they're the weaker vessel. I'm not saying you treat them... It doesn't say the weaker-minded vessel. It says the weaker vessel. Now, I'm not saying you mistreat your wife. Now, I'm not saying you ignore them. But you listen very carefully to me. There's one voice that you ought to be listening to as you lead your family. If the Lord wanted the wife to be the head of the home, He would have made the wife the head of the home. The husband is the one that's commanded to be the head of the home. And the Lord's not going to give orders to a subordinate. He's going to talk to the head. 
Now, that's not to say that the wife doesn't have her spiritual walk. Of course she does. But we find that the family is a family unit. And that as God leads the family, He does so through the husband. We find in this passage that Abram hearkened unto Sarai's voice. And I believe there's three things that he noticed and listened to. Let me say first off that I believe that part of the reason he gave in to temptation was because of Sarah's barrenness. Sarah's barrenness was an affront to the promise of God. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, we know that God had planned this barrenness. We know that God had allowed an impossible situation so that He could show that He's a God of possibility. And I thank the Lord for that. But what happened was Abram began to look at his circumstances instead of looking at his Savior. Let me tell you something. As you walk in faith, the surest way to trip and fail and fall. And I did not say to fall from grace. I didn't say to lose your salvation. I said as you walk by faith, the quickest way to not be pleasing to God, to be disappointing to the Lord, the quickest way to cease to walk by faith and begin to walk by the carnal man and by sight, the quickest way to do it is to start to get your eyes on what's going on around you. you, We find in the Word of God uh, that as Noah built an ark, he built it with one door, and one window. One way in, and only one view that could be looked at. And the Bible says that it was in the top. (laughs) He wasn't given windows in the side so he could look at the waves crashing, the wind blowing, and the trials and the circumstances. But he was given a window in the top that he might look towards heaven and see the Lord that had promised his deliverance. The Bible tells us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we look in the life of Peter, and we're very familiar with the passage where the Bible tells us that they, uh, the Lord had gone up into a mountain to pray, and the disciples had gone out upon the Sea of Galilee, and the storms began to rage, and uh, they began to be afraid, and the Lord walked out upon the water. They were afraid. and uh, He cried out and said, Be not afraid, it is I. Be not afraid, it is I. And Peter realized that it was the Lord, and he asked the Lord, said, Lord, just let me walk to you. Just let me walk to you. And let me just pause and say that many times the stormy waters are the very bridge God uses to lead us closer to Him. Many times the circumstances in your life that surround you are the very means that God is going to use to draw you closer to Him. But there's a condition that must be met if those waves are going to secure you instead of swallow you. As Abram began to walk upon the water... Excuse me, Peter. Boy, I'm getting mixed up. I got my Old Testament with my New Testament. I got, I got my, my, my walkers by faith with my fishermen. I don't know what I'm doing here. But we find that he stepped out on the water and he was doing pretty good. But the Bible says, and he looked down and looked around him. And he saw the waves... And then he began to sink. What happened? Peter was walking by faith. He wasn't looking at the water. You see, common sense would dictate that a man cannot walk on water. But Peter was not looking at the water to find sure footing. He was looking to the Lord. He was not walking by sight, but he was walking by faith. He took his eyes off the Lord, began to look at the storm that was raging. Then he began to sink. Can I say, and I could give you instance after instance in the Word of God. Uh, The Bible tells us whenever Elijah came off of uh, uh, the mountain after the showdown, you know, and uh, 
after the Lord had sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And Elijah had sent his servant out to look uh, across the valley there, and he had seen a cloud about like a man's hand that signified the rain. By the way, you know the hand of God calls for the storms in our life. Amen. But uh, he came down off the mountain and made his way to Jezreel. And old Jezebel had gotten word of what had happened. And Jezebel made this statement and said, Lord, do more. Do so to me and more also if I make not uh, Elijah's life like the life of one of the prophets by this time tomorrow. And the Bible uses an interesting phrase about Elijah. It says, when he saw that, he fled. What was the first step that Elijah took towards the juniper tree? It was when he looked around at his circumstances. Let me tell you something. You find yourself in a difficult way, don't look around, look up. You find yourself in a difficult way. Don't look at your circumstances. That's the first point of temptation. What you put in your eyes, you put in your soul. Look unto the Lord for your deliverance. We see that Sarah's barrenness was one of the temptations. But I want you to notice Sarah's blame was one of the temptations. What did she say? And Sarah, I said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Sarah, I said, you know who it is that's brought about these difficulties. It's the Lord. Let me tell you something. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm not a Calvinist in any way. I believe in the free will of man. I believe that any and all that come unto the Lord, He'll in no wise cast out. But I do believe that we have a sovereign God. But you better understand this. If you're going to base yourself on the sovereignty of God, you better be prepared to trust the sovereignty of God. You better be ready to say, Lord, I know You have it in control. Lord, not just You're controlling things, but You're in control. Sarah said, it's the Lord that's caused these problems in our life, Abram. It's the Lord that's caused me to be restrained. Now, let me give you a modern day example of it. The Bible teaches we're to tithe. Amen? Got a few amens there. Now I know who don't give. <laughs> But uh, the, the Lord says we're supposed to tithe. Be careful that you don't find yourself saying this. The Lord commanded us to tithe, but He knows how much money He's going to give me and He knows we can't afford to tithe. Be careful that you don't say that. Be careful you don't come to a place where you say the Lord commanded us to raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but the Lord knew the difficulties I'd have to face, so it's okay. Uh, don't put yourself in a position where you say, the Lord commanded me to be faithful to church, but the Lord knows I have to work and make a living, so it's okay. Be careful that you don't say, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. The Lord gives us difficulties so that we might depend on Him, not so that we might find His sovereignty as an excuse to do wrong and feel vindicated and validated because after all, the Lord put us in the position that we're in. Listen to me. When the Lord puts you in a valley, it's so He can take you out, not so you can stay there. That's why God does what He does in your life. When the Lord puts you in a difficult situation, it's not so you can lay down under the juniper tree and say, well, here I am, God, You put me here. But it's so that you can look towards heaven and say, Lord, I'm looking to You to deliver and to bring me out of what I'm dealing with. Don't allow blame to become a part of your psychology and of your psyche. But we see that there was a third thing, I believe. I believe that the burden of Sarah began to weigh on him. 
I believe that Abram felt like it was his responsibility to give a child to Sarai. And we have to be careful that we don't get to the place. And I know I'm hammering the same nail to a degree, but I want you to listen. Sometimes this nail needs to be hammered anyway. Be careful that you don't let your... You know, an old preacher, Harold Seitler, used to always say that duties never conflict. Now, that may not sound deep, but listen to it again. Duties never conflict. So if there's something the Lord has given you as a duty in your life, if you're balanced... What you do in your life is never going to conflict with something else the Lord has called you to do. And you say, give me an example. The Bible says that if a man doesn't work and provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel and he's denied the faith. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I believe in work. I know it's a four-letter word. I know we don't like it. But I believe in work. The Bible teaches it very explicitly. But let me tell you something. Work, if it's kept in its proper place, will never hinder your walk with the Lord. Duties never conflict. Let me tell you something. Children are an heritage of the Lord, the Bible says. An heritage of the Lord. And they're a blessing. But let me tell you something. As you raise your children, if you're raising them right, you'll never have to dishonor the Lord in their raising. Duties never conflict. This burden became a temptation for Abram but it was only because he was looking to himself to do the work in the life of Sarah. I believe that it was here Abram could have exhibited a faith, pointed his wife towards the Lord in a greater way. But we know that that did not happen. We know that Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah, that Sarah uh, sent Hagar, her handmaid, in unto Abram. They laid together and she conceived and bare a son by the name of Ishmael. The Bible tells us that whenever Hagar saw that she had conceived, that she began to despise Sarai. Now, I don't understand all of the psychology about that. It could have been that Hagar did not want to have a child. It could have been that Hagar began to be jealous. I do not know the psychology that went on in Hagar's heart when she began to despise Sarai. But when Sarai saw that, She did something interesting to Abram. Let me get in trouble here for just a moment. Uh, How many of your wives have ever done this? Amen. (laughs) My wrong be upon thee. You ever had that happen before in your marriage? Oh, y'all ain't brave enough to say amen right there. I know you're not. But, uh, Sarai, I said, my wrong be upon thee. It's your fault. And let me tell you something. It was his fault. It was his fault. You might say, oh, but preacher... Sarai was the one that encouraged him. Sarai wasn't the head of the home. You might say, oh, but preacher Sarai was guilting him and shouldn't he have provided for his family and didn't he owe it unto... No, Sarai is not the head of the home. Abram was. It was his responsibility to lead the home in the right direction. I want us to take, we've seen the valley of trial Abram was in. We've heard the voice of temptation that Abram heard. But I want us to take a view of the tragedy that ensued as a result of it. And I want to give you three ways that Abram's lack of faith affected people around him. I want to say that first off, his lack of faith affected his family. Look at verse number 5. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Let me tell you something. When the head of the home... And this is true for wives as well. It's true for children. 
but I don't know. Maybe the Lord's just wanting me to hammer on uh, daddies and husbands a little bit tonight. I don't know. But uh, when the head of the home doesn't walk by faith, listen to me, it hurts and affects his family. Put a wedge between Sarai and Abram. Now, listen to me. The world is going to tell you uh, that the way in a marriage that that uh, you have a happy marriage is everybody just just lays down and has no opinion and doesn't lead. And uh, actually, we live in a world that propagates the notion that the children are the head of the home and next in line is the wife and then walking about 10, 15 feet behind that is the daddy. That's what the world teaches us today. But uh, we find in the Word of God that the only way for a... Uh, family to be happy is if the husband is following the Lord and faithfully leading the home. And some would say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I knew this woman and she got her husband abused her. He wasn't walking by faith. He wasn't leading his home correctly. You say, preacher, you don't understand. I knew this situation and and this husband, uh, he beat his children. Does somebody like that really need to be leading the home? Listen to me. He wasn't walking by faith. He wasn't leading his home. Uh, the church or the, the home is like anything else. Without structure, it decays and disintegrates. Without leadership, it decays and disintegrates. And you know what the Bible likens the home to or the, the marriage relationship? The Bible says that husbands ought to love their wives uh, and give themselves uh, for them, uh, even as Christ also gave Himself, loved and gave Himself for the church. Let me ask you something. Is church a happy place if the Lord's not leading things? Is a church going to prosper and grow if the Lord's not at the head leading things? Are saints going to be exhorted and sinners called to repentance and lives changed and people converted and won to Jesus Christ if the Lord's not in the midst and at the head? No. Neither will a home prosper if the husband's not at the head of it and is leading. Now, this whole notion that that's sexist is anti-biblical. Because let me tell you something, with great uh, privilege or with great uh, uh, authority comes great responsibility. And let me tell you something, husbands, you've got a lot on your shoulders. That wife of yours needs you to be the man of the home, needs you to lead, needs you to have your family in church. They may not seem like they do, but they do. They need you to raise those children right. They may not seem like they do. There may be times when they take the children's side. There may be times when it seems like it's an uphill battle. But if you love your family, if you love God, if you want to see them grow and prosper, then come hell or high water, if it hell hair lips the devil, you will lead your home and walk by faith. You will do what the Lord would have you do. Let me tell you something. Without a head, the home falls into disarray. We find in the Word of God that in this passage, Abram did a lot of damage to his family, created a wedge because he wasn't living for the Lord. Let me give you a second thing. It affected not only his family, but it affected his friends as well. The people within the scope of Abram's influence, it affected them negatively. Look at verse number 6. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now, no doubt Hagar was greatly loved by Sarai and Abram at one time. No doubt she was cared for by them, and they cared about her deeply and greatly. But now, as a result of Abram not by faith walking with the Lord, leading his home, he finds that he has hurt those in his scope of influence and turned them away 
from the walk of faith. Now, it's only because God, by His grace, intervened in the life. Listen to what Hagar said. She said, and I'm paraphrasing this, but, but Hagar said, could it be that there's a God that looks after me? Now, you say, what's the significance of that? I believe what Hagar was saying is, is it true that God could love me? Is it, is it true that God could be looking after me? Is it true that God could be concerned with me? Why is it that after ten years almost in the life and in the home of Abram, Hagar is just now beginning to understand that the God in heaven is concerned and cares for her? Abram had not been leading like he should have. Let me tell you something. God gives you people in your life to influence. God gives you co-workers. God gives you family. God gives you friends. And you may not like this, but it's the truth. They are watching you the way that you live. I've said it before. You're the best Christian that somebody knows. Somebody is measuring the validity of Christ's salvation by the way that you conduct yourself. And if you don't walk by faith, you can people away from the cross of Calvary. You say, preacher, you're browbeating me. No, I'm being honest with you. And Mahatma Gandhi always said, I like your uh, Christ, I just don't like your Christians. And he was famously quoted as saying, I probably would have been a Christian had I never met one. And the sad truth is, one of the most influential leaders in Hinduism probably could have been a beacon for Christ's salvation had it not been for somebody that was not walking by faith when Gandhi came across him. We see that it affected his friends. But I want to give you one last thing. I promise I'm going to hush. There's cheesecake, and I'm surprised you haven't rioted already. Amen. Look at verse number 10. The angel of the Lord said unto her, speaking to Hagar, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Verse 12, we see it everywhere we look around us. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. If you know anything about Middle Eastern history, Middle Eastern culture, if you know anything about the Word of God, you know that the descendants of Isaac, was the Jewish nation. You know that the descendants of his half-brother Ishmael are the Palestinian nation today. You know that for the most part, uh, the Jews, and even Jews by faith, most of them are descendants in some way or another from Isaac. And you probably know that most of the followers of Islam today are descendants of Ishmael. The Bible says there'll be a wild man. His hand will be against everyone and their hand against them. There's no more bloody and violent and wicked religion in this world than that of Islam. I did not say radical Islam because all Islam that is devoted Islam is radical Islam. The only kind of Islam that's not radical Islam is weak Islam where they're not following what the Koran says. If an Islamist is a good Islamist, he's going to hate Westerners and Jews and Christians and he's going to feel it's his duty to slay them by the sword and to subdue them to his pagan religion because he's a good Islamist. And that's what the Koran teaches. And as we read this passage, we find that the greatest enemy of the Jewish people came as a result 
of Abraham's lack of faith. Abram's sin affected his family and his friends, but it affected the future of his family as well. It's been said before that what you do in moderation, others will do in excess. And I promise you, I promise you, neighbor, if you show up for uh, church twice a week, count on your kids showing up once a week. If you show up once a week, count on them showing up once a month. You go to church uh, once a month, count on them showing up on Christmas and Easter. You show up on Christmas and Easter, don't ever expect them to darken the doorstep of a church. Kids follow in the footsteps of their daddies. And the truth of the matter is this, in your life and in my life, the future of our families, a lot of that is dependent and based upon the way we live our lives in front of our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We find that Abram could have made a decision that made a vast difference in the history of the Jewish people. Uh, If it wasn't for Abram's sin, the Middle East would not be under the oppressive thumb of Islamists today. If it wasn't for Abram's sin, there's no telling how many millions would be would have lived instead of being martyred at the edge of an Islam blade. But today, in the day that we live in, this war rages. And it's because one man ceased to have faith and follow God. I know this hasn't been a bright and cheery message, but the truth of the matter is what happened is Abram got tired of waiting on God and he started doing things in his own way. He ceased walking by faith. He began to walk by sight and by sensuality and by sinfulness. And because he did that, he had a doubt on those around him. Value and love those kids, those grandkids, those great-grandkids, whatever it is. You value them, you love them. The best thing you can ever do for them is serve the Lord in front of them.